Well, a good day to everybody. Dr. Joe Galati, thanks very much for tuning into our podcast today. And today's podcast is part of season eight, episode number four. And we are dedicating this segment to robotic surgery. But robotic surgery is not cool enough on its own. We are going to subspecialize and talk about robotic surgery in the context of live liver donor surgery or live liver donor transplant surgery. And I'll get into that in just a moment, what that all means. But we are joined today by two leading experts in the field of surgery, Dr. Yili Chia and Carolyn Simon, from Houston Methodist Hospital and the Sherry and Allen Conover Center for Liver Disease and Transplantation, as well as the J.C. Walter Jr. Transplant Center also at Houston Methodist Hospital, which happens to be where I work as well. And so Dr. Chia and Simon are new colleagues of mine, and I'm quite honored to have them on the team, part of our very large and successful liver transplant program. Now, with regard to robotic surgery, and they're going to explain how this all fits in, but as you can imagine, robotic surgery is where you have a real surgeon sitting behind the console, that's probably the best way to describe it, of a robot that has various probes and arms inside the patient, and they could explain how that is done, where the surgeon is operating through various hand grip devices, the various instruments that you need to do surgery. And in in this particular case, we're talking about the surgical procedure where essentially half of your liver is being removed from a healthy donor, somebody that does not have chronic liver disease, fatty liver, bad heart disease, diabetes, things like that, taking half of their liver out, resecting it. This is all done robotically. And then it is taken outside the person. It is then implanted or transplanted into somebody that is awaiting a liver transplant. Typically, it's a uh, some sort of a related relative or friend or acquaintance. Now, the amazing thing about the liver is that you may be saying half the liver just came out. So the person that is receiving the liver transplant, their whole liver is being taken out and sent to pathology to be examined. Bye-bye. That is the end of that liver. The transplant surgeons are then going to sew in or implant the donor liver, which is essentially half of the liver. Now, the amazing thing is that within several weeks, the liver grows back. The liver grows back in the person receiving half the liver. So, Let's just say for argument's sake, six weeks later, the person that just had a liver transplant 
from a live donor receiving half the liver, the size of the liver, the space of where the liver is supposed to be, will be completely filled in. The liver grows. Not only does it grow, it knows when to stop growing, which is amazing as well. And you have a viable liver doing all of the hundreds of different biochemical reactions and processes that keep us healthy and keep us alive. Truly, truly a miracle. Now, the person that had half of their liver robotically removed, well, the same thing's going to happen. Six weeks later, their liver will grow back, fill the space where the liver is supposed to be, and have a completely functioning liver. For those two people, it really is an amazing process. And so the new technology, the new strategy that we are going to have at Houston Methodist Hospital now with the arrival of Dr. Chia and Dr. Simon is that the donation of half the liver, the live liver donation, is going to be done in most cases robotically. And they will explain the benefits and the advantages of live liver donation to have it done robotically, strictly from a surgical and technical standpoint. But again, if we can expand this program, the thousands of people that are waiting for liver transplants can now not be dependent on a cadaver donor, the traditional patient that has some sort of brain injury, they're brain dead for one of a dozen different reasons, but now they can make this essentially an elective surgery if you get this healthy donor that we can get teed up for this surgery. So do enjoy this podcast with Dr. Chia and Dr. Simon from Houston Methodist Hospital. And as always, follow along with us. Our podcasts are available on all of the usual podcast platforms and our website, drjoegalati.com. Follow along with all that we do on social media, be it Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And as always, feel free to reach out to me and happy to set up a dialogue with you. Be well, enjoy the podcast. The name of the program is Your Health First, and that really is the key. We want to put Your Health First. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m., we're here trying to make you better consumers of health care. DrJoeGalati.com is our website. And as I had said earlier, uh, before the break, we are talking about liver surgery, robotic surgery, transplant, and you may be sitting there tonight and saying to yourself, I really don't need to know about this. Oh no, you do need to know about it because it may affect you, a relative, a friend, or somebody else at work that you hear, you may hear something here tonight. And what I always have been telling people for all the years that I've been on the radio, this program will provide you with actionable information, things that you could hear tonight and put into play 
immediately. And in the studio tonight, it is really a great honor to have Carolyn Simon and Dr. Yili Chia, two of our newest surgeons, though they are very experienced, joining the transplant program at Houston Methodist Hospital here in the world-famous Texas Medical Center. Ladies, welcome to the program and your Houston radio debut tonight. Thanks Thank for having you very us, much. Joe. All right. Well, um, you know, real, real. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, how how did you both get into surgery? How did you get into transplant and robotic surgery? Well, Joe, I was born in Malaysia. I went to medical school in Ireland, and uh-huh. then I moved to the states for surgical training. And then for fellowship, I decided to go into liver surgery and liver transplantation uh-huh. in the northeast. Um, after I finished training, went back to Singapore. Wasn't attending for a few years, and then I realized that you know to keep innovating, I needed to get into robotic surgery. So, uh, went back to uh, Leahy Clinic in Massachusetts, started their robotic surgery program with uh-huh. Caroline Simon. All right. And then this year we moved to Houston. All right, uh, Caroline, how how's your history as far as your your journey to surgery? Well, I think I. So a little bit differently from Dr. Chia, um, my dad is a um, traditional primary care physician, uh-huh. but, you know, one of those old school, you know, do it all. Right. And so he did a lot of antenatal care, postnatal care. You know, he delivered babies. He did C-sections, all right. those things. I think tagging along with him, um, you know, kind of sparked my interest in medicine, found out I really like to, to see patients talk. Um, wanted to help everybody because uh-huh. my dad never turned anyone away. That's a good um, thing. <laughs> and then, you know, it kind of snowballed from there. Um, in terms of, you know, my my history, it kind of mimics Dr. Chia's, you know, uh, medical school in Ireland. Um, I did um, diagnostic imaging, like tumor ablation for a little bit before uh-huh. I got into surgery. Um, but, you know, essentially kind of mimic that same path, you know, yeah. transplant and then HPB. Now, with robotic surgery, uh, Dr. Simon, why don't you give everybody at, at home that may have never heard of robotic surgery, what exactly, in a nutshell, is robotic surgery? So it's not the robot that you think about, like you program your you know, little vacuum cleaner and it goes in the room and right. cleans it all on its own. No, this is a surgeon who's very well trained in not just the operation that you're about to have, but also the tools that the robot to, to, to do said operation. Uh-huh. So, you know, for me, I'm sitting at the console, I'm controlling the robot arms. And, you know, part of the, um, the benefit of robotic surgery is, you know, as a human being, you have one right arm and one left arm. Uh-huh. As a robot, you automatically have two right arms and two left arms. Okay. So just think of all, you know, like all the more surgery you could do at one time. Yeah. Now, what, when you hear robotic surgery, uh, are they just large surgeries? Are they small little, um, uh, smaller surgeries? Uh, Dr. Chia, what, what? is the scope of type of surgery that would be robotic? I, I think robotic surgery can mean either, you know, uh, small operations or large operations. So what's a small operation? Somebody's sitting at home saying, man, their hernia surgery was a gigantic surgery, but that's sort of on the small side. What's a, what's a bigger surgery? 
Because surgery is probably like liver resections for tumors, pancreatic resections for tumors, or something like a kidney transplant can be okay. done robotically. The main thing about robotic surgery in terms of patient benefit is we can do the operation through tiny incisions. Uh-huh. Uh, one incision can be as small as eight centimeters. That's okay. less than half an inch. Yeah. So that's beneficial to the patients because smaller incisions means less pain and faster recovery. Right. So would you both say that robotic surgery in general is better, easier, and safer in the long run? I would say that it, for the patient, you know, it's, it's better in the sense that the, the recovery is faster I think for the surgeons, because we need further training and you need to gain more experience and, you know, it, it makes the operation harder for us to do. So uh, I always tell my patients when I do robotic surgery, I transfer the pain from you to me, right. which I'm happy to do because yeah. I want my patients to recover faster. Yeah. Now, is there, are there certain patients that are better candidates for a robotic surgery and those that may not be a candidate for robotic surgery? I think depending on the surgeon's experience, you know, right. you can expand on who's a good candidate or, you know, say, oh, these patients may be, you know, maybe a little bit easier. We start off with operating on these patients. Right. I think if your surgeons are, you know, very well trained, very experienced, um, there, there are less and less people that you say, oh, absolutely are not Can't do a it, candidate. Right. Yeah. yeah. And where would you say in, in the years that you've both been involved in not only surgery, but the robotic part of this, the availability, is this something that is becoming more mainstream or is it still going to be at the larger medical centers such as Houston Methodist that really deal with the more complicated I think robotic surgery for complicated operations will remain in the larger centers like right. Houston Methodist. Right. I, I know that the Methodists have around 11 or 12 robots. Right. But even in the community hospitals where they do smaller procedures like hernias, if they have a robot available, there are many surgeons doing robotic general surgery in those yeah. hospitals. Yeah. I know robotic surgery, uh, and, and I may be wrong on this, first started with a lot of the urologic and prostate surgeries. Where, where are we... Sort of, I mean, is that true that it started with removing the prostate and things like that? Yes, absolutely. Um, it started there because um, conceptually, you know, you have four robot arms. So you have, you know, arms that you can put. Four hands. Know, four hands. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, if you think about, you know, where the prostate is, it's deep inside a male pelvis, which is traditionally a little bit smaller, you know, in terms of the pelvic brim. And so you, you can do this very, very complicated, you know, surgery with minimal space needed. Right. So, so, you know, definitely smaller incisions to get there. Yeah. Now that, that's great. And I know that technology has really, really exploded a lot. Um, how big of an investment is it for a hospital and a program to invest not only the equipment, because you are talking about the gear that you need, but nursing, recovery, all of that. It, it, I would think that it's a, it's a major undertaking. I think you hit it on the, uh, the, the nail on the head there. I mean, when we talk about robotic surgery, it's not just the robotic surgeon. You need a whole robotic surgery team. Right. And that includes everyone from uh, who's uh, keeping up with the stock, 
the circulators in the operating room, the scrub techs who are helping you, your assistants at the bedside, uh, people to know how to troubleshoot the robot, like your IT support. So right. it needs a whole team uh, to get a program successful in robotic surgery. Right. L- last question before we take the first, the first break here. The move to Houston. You come from the Northeast, different weather, different people. You're now in the world's largest medical center. You've only been here several weeks, but do you have a, uh, a vision in your head for the impact that you want for Houston? Uh, they're, they're pointing fingers at each other here as far as who's going to answer it. Uh, Dr. Simon, we'll ask you. It's a great opportunity to be here. I mean, seriously, the the amount of resources that we have here, the amount of support, uh-huh. I've just been completely blown away. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the take-home message is the sky's the limit. Yeah. And that's, and you know, look, that's, that's great professionally for your curiosity and your advancement, but for the patients that all of us can impact it, it really, uh, it is, it is the limit when, you know, you get to the point, sort of similar, like your dad, turn nobody away. You know, we could, we could, we could handle anything. All right. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. This is your health first every Sunday between seven and 8 PM. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to dive a little bit more into live liver donation surgery. That is their bread and butter. Stay tuned. Don't go away. Please do not go away. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from our world headquarters, 740 KTRH, and coast to coast and globally on the iHeart radio app. So if you are tuning in outside of the Houston area and you have a problem that we could certainly address from a liver standpoint, a liver transplant standpoint, a liver tumor. And we're going to get into that in a moment. Don't hesitate to reach out. You could always send me a message at drjoegalati.com. There's a, there's a tab there that says contact us. It is that easy. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletter. All of our social media channels are there, drjoegalati.com. In the studio with me, for those that have been listening along, Dr. Simon and Dr. Chia from Houston Methodist Hospital, they are... Surgeons that specialize in robotic surgery. They are the latest members of our liver transplant team. And really, you're uh, going to be doing more than liver transplant surgery or liver transplant-related surgery. And that's really what I want to get into. We've been talking about robotic surgery, the technology that we have here in Houston, at Houston Methodist and the Texas Medical Center. But... Tell us about the other types of cases where robotic surgery would be appreciated, or is there a situation where somebody may have a condition and their team may have said, can't be operated on, it's too risky, but maybe a robotic route would be more appropriate for the patient? Well, I think uh, I need to emphasize that you know, the fact that robotic surgery makes the recovery faster is uh-huh. actually beneficial for cancer care. 
Right. You know, uh, we do a lot of cancer operations and how it affects cancer treatment in general is that when you can recover faster from your major operation, you get to chemotherapy or radiotherapy faster. Uh-huh. So, you know, multi, you know, cancer care nowadays is a multidisciplinary approach. Right. You need surgery, you need your oncologist, you need a radiation oncologist. And we are part of a team that will take care of someone's uh, cancer management by making the surgery as painless and as uh, the recovery as fast as possible. Right. Dr. Simon, any added thoughts on that? Yeah, so to expand on what Dr. Chia was saying, you know, Patients that we generally get referred, you know, patients with liver tumors that need, you know, either major or minor liver operations. Uh-huh. Uh, same thing with gallbladder, same thing with bile ducts, um, pancreas resections, you know, it could be a benign pancreatic tumor right, right. or even, you know, a malignant or cancerous pancreatic right. tumor. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people, when they hear the word tumor, they automatically think cancer, but there certainly are a lot of non-cancerous benign tumors starting at the liver, gallbladder, pancreas, all the way down the entire GI tract that you'll need surgery for to to get it taken out. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing in transplant that we do is a kidney transplant. Right. Robotically. Yeah. So, you know, talk about that just for a minute. The whole whole notion of the, uh, the donor surgery, the kidney donor, as well as the actual implant of the transplanted kidney. You know, when people donate their kidneys nowadays, they, their surgery is done minimally invasive. Right. Uh, traditionally, it's been laparoscopic surgery, which uh-huh. is totally fine. And some, some surgeons have been going to the robotics route for that, which is very similar to laparoscopic benefits. But traditionally, the implantation or the patient getting the kidney transplant, they've always had an open operation, which is right. usually a big incision lower down in the belly. And the problems with wound uh, complications quite significant there when you have an incision down there that's that's sizable. So what robotic surgery can do is that you know we have a three-inch incision at the belly button to put the kidney in, and then we have four tiny other incisions, and that's how you get your kidney transplant right. nowadays at Houston Methodist. Yeah, no, it, it really is amazing. You see some older patients that have these giant incisions, and. Like anything else in life, you say, what were we doing back then? Now it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a scar that you barely uh, will see. Now, when you sort of get around to liver transplant, um, the numbers at, at times could be pretty staggering. There are, as of this morning, as of Sunday morning, 10,746 people waiting for a liver transplant. That, that's a lot of people around the country, and they were in all different stages of distress. Some are still working. Some feel pretty good. You may not be able to pick them out of a lineup to say, oh, that's the guy waiting for a liver transplant. But many are in the hospital or in and out of the hospital, and certainly many are in the intensive care unit. And the, the, the one number that is sobering is that the number of people that don't survive the the weight, and we call this the wait list death rate or death rate on the wait list. So these are the people that, for one of a hundred different reasons, do not survive the wait. And a lot of patients will will come to me and, and we'll have this initial conversation about transplants. Oh, I'm, 
I, I'm going to have to wait three years. I'm going to have to wait four years. I'm going to die before that happens. And that's a sad thing to, uh, to say. But around the country, it, it ranges from 5 to 20%. I mean, these are numbers that we all look at constantly. Just stopping right there for a second, what, what are your thoughts on that number, the, the patients that don't survive the wait? And first, what might you say to a patient and, and their family? And what do we need to do differently? Well, it's a very sobering number. Um, you know, it is true that about uh, 20 to 25 percent of patients will die while waiting for a new liver, and that's uh-huh. because we don't have enough livers to go around. Right. So the national allocation system favors uh, patients who are the sickers. Right. But there are many patients on the waiting list who are sick, who need livers. And unfortunately, the system is not under our control, so we often get very frustrated. The patients and the family gets frustrated. But with living donor liver transplantation, you know, there it, is It's some, a game changer. It's a game changer because you can, the patients can actually get some control over their waiting time. And what I would advise to everyone listening in who's still waiting for a liver months and months after being on the sure. waiting list is to try and find a living donor. And I know that it's difficult for you to ask someone to donate and you know, part of their livers <laughs> yeah. to you. That's You're a very sizing difficult people question. up at the airport. <laughs> and, you know, the way around that, Dr. Galati, is to actually appoint someone as your champion. It mm-hmm. could be, you know, your loved one, your caregiver, your spouse, your, your daughter, your son, who can ask on your behalf, who can spread the word on your behalf, and they will... They'll be the person trying to find you a living donor. Right. No, that's great. We're going to get into that as soon as we get past this break. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com. And as Dr. Chia said, if you are somewhere in this great country of ours waiting for a liver and it seems like it's never going to happen, Live donor may be a true option. You could always send me a message through drjoegalati.com and I will funnel it back to our team. Stay tuned. Final segment. Amazing how fast this is going tonight. Final segment coming up. We'll be right back. Final segment of tonight's Your Health First. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Every Sunday, you know it, between 7 and 8 p.m., we're here doing our best to making you better consumers and raising your health IQ. We've been talking about liver surgery, liver transplant with Dr. Simon and Chia from Houston Methodist Hospital and robotic surgery. And before the break, we were getting into being a live donor for liver transplant rather than a cadaver donor, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, somebody that's brain dead, tragic accident, their liver, heart, lung, kidney, skin, other organs are recovered and transplanted uh, to other recipients that are in need. This is a situation where the person, the individual waiting for 
a liver transplant identifies another person, may be related, may not be related, related, that then undergoes a surgery to remove essentially half of their liver that is then transplanted. Now, two things that everybody finds absolutely amazing, and I'll have Dr. Simon and Chia comment on this. Several weeks after the surgery, that half of a liver becomes a whole liver in the recipient, and where there was half of a liver taken out in the donor, it fills in, grows back, and you are a whole. Magical. Dr. Simon. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it is one of God's greatest gifts. Absolutely. That, you know, your liver can regenerate. Um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't look after your liver. But, you know, if you have end-stage liver disease from whatever reason, um, yes, we can take half a liver out from someone, take your whole diseased liver out, and, you know, replace like with like. Yeah. Now, it's um, some of the numbers. We talked about over 10,000 people waiting for a liver transplant. In 2022, only 6% of the transplants were through live donation, what we're talking about here. And um, going back to 2012, it was only 3%. So certainly we are making strides, but it's not as large of a number as one would look for. And I believe those of us at Houston Methodist Hospital, and certainly with your uh, joining the team and arrival, we hope that those numbers will go up even further. Why is, and, and, and Dr. Chia, you, you started on this, why is live liver donation so important? It's very important because there are many patients on the waiting list who are not going to have access to cadaveric livers. Mm-hmm. A cadaver. A cadaveric, cadaver. right. And um, the difference in uh, kidney donation versus liver donation is uh, there's less awareness among the public mm-hmm. that you can donate part of your liver. And also the surgery is rather complicated, so it is only done in certain uh, transplant centers. Right. And what we're talking here is the robotic approach, which, again, is another increase in the, the, the technology and expertise. So the robotic approach uh, enables us to um, enhance the recovery of right. a liver donor. I mean, a liver donor is uh, a volunteer who uh, is very altruistic, who wants to save someone else's life. And sometimes it might not even be someone they're very close to. Mm-hmm. Those are our superheroes. Yes, right. And we have an obligation to look after them the best we can. And that means keeping them safe and also be innovative in finding new ways to make them feel better after their huge sacrifice. Right. Dr. Simon, what do you think? Ditto. Ditto. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the liver regenerates, um, you know, the... The, the act of coming forward and being a living liver donor is, you know, unlike anything else. It's in that same category as being selfless. You know, you can talk about donating a lot of things. Um, you're helping a friend, family member, loved one, um, or sometimes like Dr. Chia says, a total stranger. Right. Yeah. You know, you look at almost anything in life and you, you look at an event like this, live living donor transplant. 
And you say, that is a game changer, a total game changer. And it really changes the landscape of liver disease and liver transplant as, as we know it. Absolutely. I mean, we all have patients where, you know, they're just not quite sick enough to get the next liver because their melt score just never peaks out at, you know, whatever the highest in the region is. Right. You know, but that doesn't mean they're not sick. You know, they're in the hospital. They're, you know, encephalopathic or confused. They have other problems related to, you know, liver disease. And, you know, one easy way to to shorten. Yeah, their- it's a shortcut. Absolutely. To, you know, to liver transplantation is, you know, having a living donor come forward, you know, getting the match just right, having a team, you know, like this one at uh, Houston Methodist, you know, having all the resources around it. Right. And and having the surgery done. You know, it means it means so much if you could move up the transplant by months to years in, in some cases, the survival and outcome for the patient with liver disease, it it. It's a game changer. Definitely true. Um, another segment of patients that we can help are patients with cancer right. who needs a liver transplant. And, you know, as with all cases of cancer, it's, it's, a, it's a ticking um, clock about when the cancer is going to come back or it's going to spread. So we need to get them to transplant faster than we're doing right now. Yeah. You know, all the years that I've been involved in transplant, I've spent a lot of time trying to speak to the public, increase their comfort talking about organ donation and transplantation. And everybody has the sense, oh, it's not going to happen to me. That's for the other family, the other guy uh, who's going to get in trouble, but never me. But when you least suspect it, you are now sitting in front of surgeons like yourselves talking about, about transplant. In a, in a moment, Dr. Simon, what, what's, what do you think is the status of the public's knowledge about both transplant and organ donation. I think education is important. I think, you know, more and more people are becoming aware of, you know, just the the, the, the whole scope of liver disease. Um, you know, segments like this help tremendously right. to increase everyone's health IQ. Um, yeah, you like that term. Raise your health IQ. I absolutely I know. do. All right. No, it it, it is. It, it, it is, and it's a constant battle, and, and you know, we're all passionate about it. And uh, I know f- uh, for a fact Dr. Gobriel, our brave leader uh, at Houston Methodist, Dr. Mark Gobriel, is, is listening, and I know that he is passionate about getting the word out and, and, and promoting the services that we could help more and more people. Last point here. Um, when we talk about live donation in very early stage or a little bit further down the, the discussion uh, uh, lifespan there, patients will always say, oh, I've got a donor. I have four kids. They're all, they all agree to be donors. And, and I have to not temper that by saying, well, wait, slow down. There is a process to evaluate people. But um, unfortunately, there is a process to work these patients up. We have to be very, very careful in selecting them. We do not want to harm a volunteer that is stepping forward to help somebody else. But the one point here, and and let me know what your experience has been. We are surrounded by uh, an obese community, and that has got to impact the donation. Final word, Dr. Chia, on, on obesity and why it's important to be healthy all the time. 
Dr. Gladi, the from our uh, donor evaluation statistics, we know that 50% of patients are rolled out because they're over the weight cutoff. Uh-huh. But we do have patients who are able to lose that weight. And right. these are people who are very motivated to help their recipient. And we can help them do right. that. Absolutely. Dr. Chia, Dr. Simon, it's been great. It went fast. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and the future work that you're going to do here in Houston, Texas, and the rest of the country. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.